Hi, this is Pam and this is Must Love Food. Thanks for joining me for our spring issue run through. I have everybody here. I've got Maddie, John, Robin and Teresa. And um, we're just going to kind of mosey through the pages and call out a few highlights of the issue that um, we know that is in your homes now because we have gotten comments from readers and we've seen a lot of posts. If you listen to our last podcast, this is our 150th issue. We um, did a remake of a pie that was in issue number one, and we did a banana cream pie. That was in honor of uh, the 26 years that we have been producing this magazine and the 150th issue um, that we just produced and that's, that we are talking about here today. So that was the pie, and today we're just going to kind of go through the rest of it. So thanks for joining Hi, everybody here. We're going to start with tips because we've already talked our social, which are were our favorite foods. So definitely listen to um, episode 73 that talks not only about the pie, but some of our favorite recipes from over the years. And it really is hard to tell because some of them, if they're your own recipes, sometimes they're like your children and you can't pick a favorite. And then, of course, you know, we've got a we have family of current and former co-workers who produced some wonderful um, recipes over the years. And so it's like, you know, eating your your aunt's favorite chili or something like that. So it is a lot of nostalgia and we kind of walk through that. So uh, take a listen to that episode. Is there anything in particular, Robin, here that you'd like to shout out? One that you really like or, uh, you know what, which one I really like? The which short one? straw. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice one. It is. Um, just putting those, uh, if you don't have a pie bird and you don't want to make a mess on, on pies bubbling up to cut those straws into short little pieces and stick them in there and, uh, vent, in the vent holes. With straws. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make pie, uh, a pie vent with straws. Um, but we do want to make that caveat and we do it in, in, in the magazine. Um, make sure you're using paper straws and not plastic straws because the plastic straws will melt. So. Mm -hmm. That Don't would be a party, in your pie. party foul if that happens. <laughs> right, right. They kind of end up in a little puddle. Uh -huh. So just that's it's a great tip, but but that is the uh, tip that we will share with you is for the tip is <laughs> use paper straws. So yeah, I do like that one a lot. Another one that I I just want to call out real quick is bell peppers. Uh, mm -hmm. saving those bell peppers. Um, and sometimes they get a little bit slimy uh, on the inside. You know, if you just want to use part of it, you put that rest of that, you know, in the in the refrigerator and you, you don't use it for a few days and it, maybe it's not saved real well. Well, Joe Pat Carey has sent in this tip and tells us to stuff that cavity firmly with paper towels and then put them in a re, uh, resealable plastic bag and put them in the refrigerator. And I, I'm going to tell you that really made a difference. You know, it soaks up any moisture that's in there and it really kept that bell pepper fresh. Um, gosh, I probably had it in there. I'm going to tell you, but for probably about two weeks. And it was just as nice as the day I put it in the refrigerator. Um, I don't know if everybody will have the luck of two weeks, but I enjoyed it. It worked for me and I hope and it works for, for Joe Pat and I hope it works for you too. So I would say great tip and try it. <laughs> but all of them, I'll tell you what, all of them, I like them and we do test them. People are kind enough to send in their, their tips and we do test them before we publish them. So you can be sure that, that uh, we think they're great. And I think that our readers will think they're great. And I would encourage our readers to send us your tips and uh, share them with us so we can share them with the rest of the group. Thank you. 
Um, okay, let's move into in the now, if we may. Is there something here um, you'd like to shout out, John? Boy, I, <laughs> I guess maybe it's just my sweet tooth, but the, those apples um, treats uh, were really, really good uh, for using um, alternate flour. Everything was sort of almond flour based. Not that it's a qualifier by any means, but you wouldn't know. But they were all, uh, you know, flavorful because of the almond flour, but they're also crisp and worked out so well um, as a snack. I um, I eat uh, a lot of um, gluten-free products and um, gluten-free cookies and crackers and things like the bread. And I have to say, I think that they have come a long way in a short time, really, I think, coming up yeah. with alternatives. And, um, and I do like almond-based sweets. <laughs> Yeah, they were tender and they had a nice crumb and they weren't mm -hmm. dry. They, those were really good. I agree, John. Those are probably one of my favorites. And I'm just going to give a little shout out because I know this was something we'd had um, for a little while. We waited for this issue to feature. It was the Ova Easy Egg in a Cup. A colleague of ours, I believe his wife works for the company that produces these. I know that they have been featured in other magazines, but they are kind of uh, eggs in a, um, on the go. So you just need really a microwave or a, or a pan to add a little um, water and they're keto friendly. And you can certainly add stuff to them if you want, but they, they do come in um, sea salt and pepper, Mediterranean frittata or more meat-free sausage seasoning flavors. So if you are um, uh, have to go back to the office and you're looking for food, a quick um, breakfast on the go, Give that one a consideration, I would say. I'd also like to give a shout out to the uh, luxury tea that we featured in, in the now. It's uh, from LaRue 1680. And after we shot this on set, I tried this tea and loved it. So I gave a lot of them for Christmas gifts. And I must say, I've gotten so many thumbs up for this tea that people have gone ahead. They've used the tea, their Christmas gift tea, and they've gone ahead and bought them on their own. W one favorite is, and it sounds fantastic to me, the uh, Earl Grey Italian Cream is a big favorite. Springberry Punch that uh, is shown in our magazine, it's really fruity. It's probably the, you know, one of the best teas I've ever had. So Wonderful. Um, I don't know if I did try them. Um, I missed that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm, going to have to give them a try. <laughs> I'm not a tea drinker, and that was extremely refreshing. It was really, really nice. Well, the world of tea, I mean, we had a, we had a podcast, I think, just on tea recently, but it is, it's another one that's just sort of evolved and sort of exploded in recent years. I think people are looking for any kind of soothing elixir that can sort of soothe frayed nerves. <laughs> uh, anyhow. Those caffeinated I, teas or something else, though. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, green tea is always a good thing. Uh, I'm moving into the world of watercress. I remember writing about watercress years ago. I don't I might have been doing an article or it could have been on uh, one of our special interest books where it was health related and we talked about watercress, but it is, oh, it might've been a Q and A question, but it is a green that, that packs a lot of nutritional punch. And so John gets in, he does some hot, he highlights some of the benefits and some of the nutritional um, aspects to watercress, but he really, he has developed three 
amazing recipes and uh, anything you want to kind of talk about with watercress itself for the recipes, John? Well, I really, you know, I, I got this sort of poetic uh, opener tagline to it uh, that I did. And that's based really on uh, memory of probably when I was uh, a preteen, 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, and me and my buddy used to go through a, a creek valley and, you know, we know all, where all the springs were and everything else. And at one point he points out to me, he says, he said, see all this stuff here? It's watercress. You can eat it. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool, you know, because I didn't never I never considered that I'd be uh, a forager or that I would <laughs> I was a finicky eater besides. But it was so cool to be able to just pluck this fresh watercress literally out of the spring and start uh, Noshing on it, and uh, so I had I I I wanted dibs on this just for that uh, sheer memory of it all because it it's it is it's just childhood memories, some dappled days, and freshwater running, you know, creeks and springs. So and then the surprise that topped it all off was that um, it, I had no idea it was such an nutritional powerhouse. It, I, I couldn't believe it, and I started. It was like, what, what, you know, vitamin A, C, K, calcium, magnesium. Uh, it just goes on and on. Iron, folic acid, vitamin B six. Uh, it just, it was terrific, it was, and it's uh, concentrated and flavorful. It's like taking a vitamin without having to take a vitamin, so <laughs> multivitamin. And it's got kind of a peppery bitterness to it and you uh, have woven it into three recipes as I said um, you've got one is kind of watercress and poached eggs are sort of a natural pairing I think but you've made a watercress sauce and a soup and um, and then a salad with some smoked trout any of those you want to kind of maybe dive um, into a little bit or for me the it was a, I'll give this a try, but I don't have much hope for it, was the Vietnamese pork soup with the watercress. Uh-huh. And it um, really was pretty simple. Came together rather quickly, and yet it was just so flavorful, I couldn't get enough of it fast enough. Just, okay. So it was a big surprise for me. And then I, I do like uh, the pepperiness of the um, leaf stands up to the smoked trout. It really did work out really well. And then yeah, the, the poached eggs is just creamy goodness. And I, you know, I'm probably the only one, but I still occasionally make milk toast and eat poached eggs and milk and cream sauce. <laughs> so. um, we're going to move into cuisine tonight and Maddie and Robin tag team here. And it is uh, Raid the Pantry. So we've had over the years a lot of... Um, request for, and we've done some articles related to this, but trying to eat out of your, your freezer and your pantry. And it was definitely heightened during the pandemic. And with some rising costs now, it, it is nice to, when you find something on sale, to have it in your freezer or to have a can of this or that in your pantry. And, um, but, uh, so what we did is we turned to our freezers and our pantries and, um, came up with uh, Cuisine Tonight recipes that wouldn't require you running all over town to find things. But we also talk about kind of um, some substitutes for s some of the recipes. So I think it came together. Um, there's a tortellini primavera, a fried quinoa, which I went gaga for, 
and a spring veggie soup with bacon. Anybody want to kind of? Yeah, no, I thought I really liked how Teresa laid this out and I thought it came together beautifully. And the fun thing was, (laughs) the challenge was at first was seeing all those boxes for ingredient swaps. And Rob and I were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? But then it's like, okay, it was pretty, you know, it does. It was nice to be able to give some different options for some of the ingredients, which some are Mm -hmm. pretty common sense, you know, but it's also preference too, you know like the fried quinoa, like everyone probably, you know, I know in our family, we like to result to like, you know, chicken fried rice when we're just looking to clean out the pantry or an easy dinner. Um, But sometimes we have quinoa on hand versus rice. So, you know, so little things that it's like taking some spins on some classics and um, also, you know, incorporating if you have some fresh vegetables on hand or easy swaps or even frozen vegetables, you know, it was, Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a package of like the tortellini uh, primavera. It's a package of the California blend. We don't have to use that. Maybe you have some odds and ends in your freezer. Use those. Or maybe you have fresh veggies that need to be used up. Chop them up and use that instead. So it's, you know, so I I do like that. uh, The little boxes on the bottom. So it kind of makes it maybe a tweak somebody's brain to go in a different direction. So it's always good to have a, a starting point and, and the recipes are great the way they're written, but feel free to swap what you've got. And- right. And also we gave some suggestions and that's there. It's not a finite set of, of swap options. There are other swap options that you could go with. We, it, but we don't have um, all the room in the world to say that. So, um, and in fact, one of the things, and it would it would require probably cooking things slightly differently, but I happened to notice when I was at Costco right before the tornado hit, um, or as the tornado was hitting, uh, organic, um, froze, frozen organic um, cauliflower rice. And I think you could probably make this with cauliflower rice too. Um, mm-hmm. It totally. would just it would just cook a, you know slightly differently, and um, so I can't say exactly how I would how I would modify it. But you're not cooking the quinoa that long either, are you? No. Uh, no. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's little things like that that it's like yeah. maybe you're just stirring it in at the end versus right. you know when you right. everything just heat it yeah. all kind of together mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. But um, so. That it was another thing I saw there. But so yes, you've got options, but you also can stay home and cook. Um, your pantry's your friend, your freezer's your friend. And um, John, were you going to say something? I was just thinking uh, it's this a good article for people to start to uh, feel freer to improvise. A lot there of times go. people get s- such a rigid mindset about, oh, this is a recipe and I have to stick to the recipe. And mm-hmm. This is the only way it can possibly be done. And this uh, liberates you from that sense that I am, you know, rigidly have to hang on to this recipe. And here's some different things. And once you start feeling comfortable in the kitchen and you can start improvising, you begin to see more and more possibilities. Yes. To, you know, how to use things up in your fridge and pantry. So. Thank you. Take the Completely. shackles off. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It's a common thing that a lot of people, I feel like, are so... Um, 
Some yeah. are more scared to stray from a recipe where others stray and it doesn't quite turn into their, you know, it's right. like, so here's kind of an easy way to ease into it. They're not baking. They're just kind of some quick recipes that you can just put together and hopefully straying doesn't cause too much of an issue. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, I think people just get, they're looking for a lot of times just ease and simplicity. And so following the recipe sort of gives them that safety net. But uh, yes, I think that some, some cooks uh, maybe who feel a little more confident uh, might have already started straying or do that all the time. Um, I always think, and we've said this before, I always think it's sort of maybe best to try a recipe as it's written the first time if you can. And if you can't here, that's fine. There are, you, it's not gonna, it's probably not gonna turn out inedible, but if you, but once you have sort of a base from there, then sort of that's when you really, if, if you are one of those people that has um, strict adherence to a recipe in the past and, they, and they're not comfortable kind of swapping, um, but you kind of know then what it tastes like and how you would wanna modify it on your own. Um, I'm, we've all done this for years, I'm sure. Um, but, and that's where the fun starts, as John was saying. You improvise um, and you feel like a champion in your own kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go turn the page and I'm gonna talk about kolaches. This was um, something we had talked about developing a, a recipe for this for years. I didn't know a whole lot of kolaches other than I knew that they were popular and they came from Eastern Europe. And there are um, areas in the U.S. where populations migrated to, um, uh, immigrated to, and so there are more um, foods related to the old country that you would find there. And Texas is one of the, the spots that kolaches were very big in. So kolaches are a dough that's um, sweet and um, there's a little bit of yeast, but they're slightly sweet. They're not saccharin sweet they're not like a a um, cinnamon roll or anything like that they are they have some sugar in them and usually it's the the filling that adds the extra flavor and in keeping with um eastern europe you'll find a lot of like prune fillings is very very popular uh but also cheese fillings is another one or cheese and fruit filling and now um here in the states what you have seen is you've seen some savory variations of them. That is not something from my research that, that did come from Eastern Europe. That is something that was uh, revised here, adapted here, created here. And so I originally was thinking I might do some, some savory, but I did keep it more in line with what traditional um, kolache was. And we did have people on staff in the company who tasted these and had grew up with them. And so, I definitely got them involved in tasting and sharing some of what they knew and um, uh, loved about this. So it's uh, basically making a dough and it's a really nice soft dough if memory serves me. And then you sort of, you know, make a normal dough, let it, let it proof, then um, divide it and shape it and then fill it and then bake it. And so in terms of filling, we did two different fillings plus a topping. So we did a dried plum filling, pretty simple stuff, cooking dried plums with some water, sugar, cinnamon. Um, and then there's a sweetened cream cheese filling with some cream cheese, powdered sugar, a little flour, um, egg yolk, that's really is binding, um, some nutmeg and salt. And so um, you can uh, fill these with either straight up the 
plum filling, straight up the sweet and cream cheese filling, or a combo of the two. And then there's a streusel topping with flour, granulated sugar, butter, cinnamon, and salt, and then sprinkle that over the filled kolaches before baking. And if you want a different fruit, you can kind of use the dried plum filling as a base. Here's where you can improvise and you can use a different um, dried fruit there. But all dried fruits are a little different, so the consistency of the filling may differ. So you may want to pay attention to that in terms of whether it's too loose or too thick. But they also have um, purchased fillings that you can get, and I noted a few of them. Um, Lekfar is a um, like a fruit butter, which I know we've used before in some other Eastern European pastries that we've done. And then there's Solo, which makes um, kind of uh, pastry and pie fillings. And then there's Baker fillings. And there are others as well. But so you can either either find them in the grocery store or get them online. Some of the other colors in the images are the cherry filling and the apricot filling. Sure. Yes. And that was, yeah, just to give some uh, visual variety. But also I we wanted to test the, the fillings and the flavors too. Um, I'm trying to remember what my favorite was. I definitely... I liked there were really mine was the prunes, surprisingly, that I thought that would be my least favorite, but that was actually I think my favorite. I like that one. (laughs) And I like the combo one. The cheese and the cheese with it is great. I thought for sure I love cherry. I thought I'd go for cherry, but the prune was my favorite. Yeah. And the topping. I liked the topping to it. It just added just a hair more, you know, just flavor and sweetness and Uh uh-huh. It was nice. Who doesn't like streusel, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what I also found in my research, what I found very interesting is at one time, and it, I'm going to guess this comes down to what the immigrant population basically fed into, but these used to be sold at gas stations. They were very popular at gas stations. So I'm guessing that somebody came here and somehow ended up owning a gas station and they featured their <laughs> kolaches at the gas station. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm making that up. Nobody has told me that, but <laughs> might stand a reason. Well, let's go fishing. Cuisine for Two is an article um, about uh, fish, a couple of seafood. And I'm going to say that I have seen um, social media that people are making these um, already. And um, I have uh, friends who I have gifted uh, cuisine to. And um, the soul is one, I think both of them. Um, my friend is um, has earmarked these pages as must-tries. That's great. Yeah, uh, I was introduced to the, um, in, the sea bass is, is sort of South American in a sense that it has the pebre sauce, which is uh, pepper sauce, pepper and parsley, I think, or cilantro. And um, that I, I was first introduced to by, I believe, it, I want to say it was uh, Steve Reichland way back in his barbecue Bible days. Um, uh, he had served it uh, at a demo that I was watching. And so I, I came back to that because it is uh, so flavorful. It just really brings a lot of pow and punch. And it's not just pesto. It's something with a little bit more character. It had a lot of character. I loved it. Well, I love sea bass, but it 
I think what you the, you honor the sea bass here, which is what I loved. Um, but you're enhancing the flavor with the sauces, and I loved the um, the blistered tomatoes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're a good pop. Good pop with that. And then I uh, had this little uh, cross-channel uh, amalgam of the Sol Meunier with the uh, <laughs> minted mashed peas and shoestring fries. So a vague sort of tribute to fish and chips. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, oh. But also maybe maybe that's how they do it in Guernsey. I don't know. Those fries down, so. <laughs> were ridiculously good. <laughs> Are, are ridiculously good. Yes. But otherwise, that that is uh, uh, the Solmonier goes way back to my first days as a line cook on a on a saute line. Is sure. It was a pretty regular uh, entree special for us. So that was that was easy and nostalgic again for me. So uh, this makes uh, me think of Julia Child when she. Um, from Julia and Julia when she first goes to France and she has something like this. I don't think she has the shoestring fries or the minted mashed peas, but she had a, <laughs> right. uh, a fish similar to this. I think it was a Meunier, actually. Yeah, and I, I did try, uh, when I first started developing it, uh, I was doing the classical, you know, fry up the whole sole or flounder. Uh-huh. And then, you know, how they, they strip it uh, table side so you can just get the fillets and then yep. serve it but that seemed like a lot of work for folks so <laughs> <laughs> well it looks beautiful and it's delicious nicely done so here healthy no nut notion um you want to take this one maddie and and kind of even just how the idea came about and sure you know and um this kind of took some, <laughs> the opening image I love. And I, I know Teresa <laughs> was there and our the photographer, Chris, we really made it a little challenging for him trying to get all these drips and stuff and, <laughs> you know, getting the milk splatter or cream. I think we tried all different things just to make sure it um, got the image perfectly. And, you know, it was a team effort and it turned out great. Um, but this article was kind of like a nut-free kind of article. Um, I know it's kind of something that's my girls face in school that, you know, they can't bring peanut butter and jellies um, because of the nut allergies affect a lot of people. So that's kind of where we got started. And um, we have a no nut granola and then also a um, graham cracker butter. And that kind of started with cookie butter. First, we were looking at all these different cookie butters um, that are on the market, which I'm sure everyone has seen and tried. <laughs> but this is kind of using things that you already have. Graham crackers, I know our our pantry is always stocked with that. So um, it was just kind of a fun little spin on something that gives another option for a nut-free kind of spread that if you use it for dipping or on toast or waffles, um, just just a fun article to kind of bring some new recipes that maybe we're not as familiar with. Really, and, and because of the prevalence of nut allergies that seem to be around, I don't remember it when I was a kid um, so much. I remember everybody eating peanut butter and jelly at their lunch desk, you know, or at their desks um, when we were kids. But yeah, now it's just, um, it's commonplace and it's a concern and there are limitations on what um, kids can and can't bring to school, I think. And um, 
for for your own lunch and then also for group um, sharing. Um, and I do like that there is a little um, uh, checklist of things um, to keep in mind if you are cooking for somebody with nut allergies or just I think it's in general good to know before you, you've got a play date or before your child goes somewhere, especially if it, whatever, um, maybe if they're bringing something or if they have obviously a nut allergy, you, you would be doing this anyway. But just, I like the checklist there. Totally. If you're having some guests over, I mean, it's, there's so many different allergies out there besides just nut even that it's, it is just a, a nice reminder to kind of stop and, you know, check in with your guests or whoever is going to be eating at your house um, it, or even coming to your house. It's so you can get rid of some stuff or, you know, just make sure everything's clean. Um, it's just a nice, yeah, reminder to kind of, you know, think twice before, you know, a lot of times it's easy just say, oh yeah, come on over. And it's like, oh, wait, <laughs> I'm making dinner. Are you allergic to anything? <laughs> so no, I think it turned out, it was fun. Yes. And so, um, it's uh, good snacking for um, nuts and or nuts, kids and adults alike. <laughs> no nuts. No nuts. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Let's get into the top chops. This was just beautiful and delicious. And John was the master of, of this um, crown roast of lamb with a mascarpone morel pan sauce. And... Uh, on the plated shot there, I think um, one of Robin's faster with fewer side dishes is there. Um, so do you want to just talk about the crown roast oh, lamb? That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what that was. Um, yeah, I. Um, uh, it's a personal favorite of mine. And I, you know, it's positioned to uh, address the, you know, bigger spring holidays that are coming uh, our way here shortly. Um, instead of the typical ham or what have you. And so this is a look at using lamb for that centerpiece and that it's not something you have to have the butcher fabricate. It's definitely an educational piece on how to create that crown of lamb. Uh, we didn't quite get the image of it, but there's, um, if you set this into a, a bunt pan as you roast it, it'll hold the circular shape to give it even more of a um, spectacle of a, of a crown, I guess is, is what you'd say. But um, then, um, what was I gonna say? It was, oh, that all said, spectacular, it's fancy, it's beautiful, but I also wanna make it that it uh, has a real common touch is that you, you know, you, you pick up those, uh, bones uh, and eat it like a, a popsicle and they're called popsicles uh, lamb popsicles sort of a little the walking pork chop that you see at the state fair or whatever <laughs> think of it in the same terms uh, of that so it it's not hoity-toity is what i'm getting at i guess um lamb is is definitely i think uh, nowadays much more of an acquired taste i think statistically back in the 50s or 60s people ate 20 pounds plus of lamb every year and um, now it's less than five so uh, it's a, it's a food that's out there it's flavorful um, and it's it's accessible it, it really is a surprise something new to, to bring to the table and then just as an ode to spring I had the morel uh, mushroom sauce that goes with it so 
Um, that season will be coming up. We're still a month or two away, but um, it should be coming along. It, it usually does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because um, we're working on a future issue and, and we're talking about mushrooms in that issue. And I was just doing a lot of research and writing something about mushrooms. And there are, um, I think there, there might be like over 10,000 varieties of mushrooms. And there's maybe over a thousand that are, I think, edible. But there's a lot of varieties that are not edible. Um, and they, it, some could be, are considered poisonous. Um, and so we are saying the caveat, we're recommending that, you know, it is best to buy your, your mushrooms at a, you know, farmer's market or a grocery store or someplace that, um, somebody who knows what they're doing is selling you something that is, um, safe to eat. I, having said that, I, I personally have eaten mushrooms morel mushrooms that I have forged for myself. <laughs> I digress here, but uh, the other thing, um, mushrooms are in a class of their own. They are not animal. They are not vegetable. They are a fungus. And that is something that is, so we eat them and think of them as vegetables, but they actually technically are not a vegetable. And they have different health benefits because they are a fungus. Um, but I wanted to just go back to the lamb for one second, because one of the things, and John sort of alluded to that it's, it's, um, it's not as hoity-toity as you think, but, and when you hear crown roast, because they are, it's smaller animal to begin with, it's not like a crown roast of, of beef or pork. It's not as unwieldy. They're a little more manageable. And that's why you can French this if you want to take off some additional meat off of the bones. But really what you're doing is you're buying two basically straight racks of lamb that you then turn them to sort of do like a mezzaluna, a, a half moon. So you kind of right. turn them to um, have them both form like a U shape. And then what you're doing is you're just tying those ends together and then wrapping some kitchen string yeah. around the whole circle once you've got them anchored together. And so it is much easier. So it, it sounds maybe a little complicated, but it's not at all. If you've got a bunt pan, which a lot of people have, or some kind of a tube pan, that makes it really easy in terms of baking this and helping it hold its shape. But if not, you do uh, suggest and recommend that if they do not have that, then just take a bunch of aluminum foil, wad it up, you know, so you've got something to put into the center of the crown to help it hold its shape. And then um, I think you put it on a rack or something to that effect. So nicely done. I think Maddie, you and I, this was a, uh, uh, yes, it was, I love my Instant Pot cooking for one. We have gotten a lot of, um, a lot of requests over the years to do a uh, single serving. So when we saw this and we know the instant pots are hugely popular. And, um, so this was a nice way to, um, provide content that people have asked for. And it is the very mainstream ingredients, nothing too fancy here at all. We have had, um, uh, some, um, uh, feedback about the nutritionals on these, these are very large portions, so yes. you could most likely um, make a, meal, a couple of meals out of this, which will definitely help with the nutritional. But if you are on a sodium-restricted diet, I would say then um, if the um, recipe calls for salt, you can make it without and then adjust the seasoning to your palate 
if that is a concern. So this was Lisa Childs. I think she was a blogger, expert in accidental food blogger, how she describes herself. She has a passion for cooking. And so we had chicken fajitas, honey sesame chicken and broccoli, and the spicy pineapple chicken. And so we we focused on doing everything with chicken. And um, I think they were all chicken breast, right? I believe yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. And that was kind of also nice because um, I know I know a lot of us who if you're shop, shopping in bulk, you can get a package of chicken breast with malt, you know, with, you know, say four or five or six, you know, it's right. Options are endless these days yep. with chicken breast, it seems like. Um, but it was nice to um, be able to stick to one protein. I mean, obviously, you could swap it with another protein if you'd prefer. Um, but it just is, you know, it's kind of lighter as well. Um, if you are buying in bulk, then you can um, eat from your freezer. You use what you want, put the rest in the freezer, which is what we did in the test kitchen. When we were not using it, it went into a freezer. Then you, when you're ready to make the next one, you take it out and yeah. Yeah. No, and I liked um, the portions were very hearty, like Pam said. And I, there's say to it because it's, it's nice to have some for leftovers but also when you're cooking um, in an instant pot, if you want any smaller, you know, the, the times and, you know, and the texture and stuff kind of get affected as well. Cooking for one can be a challenge. And I think this book really kind of brought light to that and was very mm -hmm. tasty. Yeah. Let's move on into wares. Um, everybody, pretty much everybody uses a cutting board in their kitchen. John did a another phenomenal job in researching and analyzing a variety of boards that are out there. Yeah, I guess I, that's one of the things I, with this column, I like to do is is not to compare necessarily apples with apples with apples. I like to have the you know the Fuji apple next to the the Braeburn kind of thing. So some, these boards aren't necessarily all the same, but they offer different features along the line. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the number one there, the our favorite, the Barenthal, um, it, it, it's a sneaky surprise. I, my instinct is that it's bad for my knife, and it's you know, it's you know, it won't stand up to the dishwasher. It'll you know, because it's a compressed wood uh, fiber board, and yet it just uh, it's at the top of other people's lists. It gets great reviews. It has these little non-stick pads on it to keep the board from moving around. Uh, and then, but on the other hand, we have the uh, the Joseph Chop to Pot three-piece. And I know that uh, our photographer uh, really wanted to get a hold of those because that's how he cooks. He's, he's going to chop and he's going to slide it into the pot. And so he's got something that'll help him do both. He loved that. He thought that was a <laughs> great, uh, efficient design. So... I'm just looking like the top image on the on that there, you can see that it's curved. So that's not meant for chopping on. That's meant for scooping. Is that right? Right. Okay. You're talking about the the red the Joseph. They do yeah. flatten out and they, they have they're scored. So when you're through chopping on it flat, you can fold it up to um, maneuver right. your food into oh, okay. Quite clever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank yeah, you. they kind of snap flat, and then you snap them okay. back up together. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, then the the prosumer choice dual purpose uh, one towards the bottom of the that's uh, actually you can't see it, but they're built up on feet, and they're meant to stand 
on your cutting on your stove or range top to give you a little extra counter space. Um, so that if you have a small kitchen or if you don't have limited, you know, if you're like at my house, you have one too many gadgets on the counter space. Um, this really will help you uh, have that additional counter space before you get uh, started cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and just clever design like the the one with the little drawers pulling out at the top there, the runner up. Uh, that worked out really well. The acacia wood board, I think, is just gorgeous. It's beautiful, beautiful design. And the pragmatism of the grillmatic is just, it's, it is what it is. It's, <laughs> it's a good, you know, good, solid, functional board. Well, you can't live without them. And so, but when you're making a choice, this is a good reference to kind of read through and, and then make a decision on what you think works best in your kitchen. So we've done some of the legwork for you, or I should say the cut work for you. (laughs) John did. Uh, Okay, here we go. Homemade pita breads. This is the pita bread. This was another one that's been on our list of um, uh, wanting to to do for a long time. And this is also another one that um, we've had uh, some shout outs on social media. People are making these and loving these and um, saying how easy it is. And, um, and that's one of the things in the copy here. Um, why would you even make these? It's really, you know, taste and um, simplicity and freshness, really. I think the title says it, quick and easy. <laughs> really, that's it. It's uh-huh. quick and easy. They are warm out of, right out of the oven. It's, it's just a delight. It, it truly is. And it's fun. They're fun to make. And when you see them puff in the oven, boy, that's a, it's a joy. <laughs> I know I, I know I sound kind of giddy about it. And I because I love I love to bake and, and bread is so much fun. Um, and when they're fast like that, it's, it's even more fun. Sometimes they don't puff. And maybe you've, you know, maybe you stretched the dough too much or overworked it or whatever. So if it doesn't puff, it's still good. You've still made a good product. You can still eat it and still enjoy it. So you haven't, you're not out anything. <laughs> it just won't be yep. one of those pitas that you can that cut and fill in the center. It's one of those that you can just take flat and sort of fold on its own yes. like you would a tortilla or something. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you're not, you've not done, you know, you, you're not going to throw something away. You still eat it and you still enjoy it. So it's, a, it's still a win-win. Um, well, and um, I'm just sitting here. I mean, maybe their yeast wasn't good, too. I mean, that could be a possibility, no? Well, no? I, I wouldn't say so. Sometimes I just think it's that maybe okay. it's just, um, you know, if you've worked it and then you let them sit a little bit. And sometimes I think if you just, maybe if you've just worked it too much and it just doesn't do it, or maybe the PETA people in the world are just not looking down and smiling at you that on that particular PETA, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, if you get, um, you know, six out of, you know, got nice and um, puffy or four out of six, I still say it's a win. It is just a win. And if all six of them have pockets, there you go. It's a good day. Well, um, it might just be a little sticky point between the sides uh-huh. and the pocket. But once you open it up, it would be easy enough to 
yes. pop open the package. Yes, mm-hmm. it's a, and, and they are so good. And, um, you know, we show it here with hummus too. And uh, so it's, they're great to, they're great dipper like that. So they're great to have filled. We've, we have a, a turkey and chickpea salad uh, recipe that is just really yummy to, to fill inside there. Um, but I love them as a dipper with hummus or, you know, or like you say, just as a, as a flatbread, it's, it's good all the way around. So I'm glad that we finally made pita because yes. I was, uh, I was surprised how easy it was and it doesn't take that long. Um, it's good. So I would encourage people to just jump in there and, and, and give it a go. I think it's one of those two, one of those breads that is a nice entree point for people who don't bake bread um, mm-hmm. to maybe um, get over maybe a little um, intimidation or fear that might be surrounding it. Yeah. It's one that's maybe a little a little simpler entree into the world of baking homemade bread. I think you're probably right there. Absolutely. It just, it's an easy, easy, uh, easy, quick project and lots of fun. They were delicious. Thank you. Um, so I'm moving into the world of cocktails. And so this was uh, alcohol-free cocktails that are, they're not anything you probably have seen before. There are a lot of flavor, but uh, Maddie and Robin tag teamed on this. We did. Um, and and that was the fun thing kind of behind it. It's um, some of them were, you know, they have the names of something you'd recognize, like the Arnold Palmer, you know, and um, Sangria. Mm-hmm. You know, little those two were kind of some spinoffs, some classics. Um, mm-hmm. But like the kiwi shakeup that we haven't really done much with kiwi. You know, it's one of those ingredients that if you like kiwi, you'll just eat it plain or you know, however. Um, but putting it into a into a mocktail was kind of fun, and to see kind of you know what you. I, I was hesitant. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to get, but I'm going to throw it in the shaker and see what comes <laughs> out. And I think I had everyone come in and like see and. Um, so no, they were, I think they were all fun and full of flavor. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know a lot of my friends or people I've seen have started to do a lot more low alcohol or no alcohol, um, whatever your preference, or even if you're just one a day of, you know, kind of enjoying a drink sans alcohol, it's, it was nice and refreshing. Mm -hmm. They were all tasty and different. They were all different and they, I enjoyed them. Well, it was a fun thing to do. And mm-hmm. one one thing I want to kind of kind of mention, Maddie had said sangria. It's a word we've heard. It's something um, a lot of us have had. And um, but it's hard to probably fathom the idea of how do you make sangria if these are no alcohol. So um, Robin uh, selected an alcohol removed wine, and that's that's how. And and because actually, it's, in, mm-hmm. yes, it's still a wine based. Uh, drink you know sangria is you is made with wine and so it still is um red wine based but it is alcohol free right and um i would i didn't realize they made that and so i guess i hadn't really looked for it and it was good you know and i i know i sound like shocked or something and i shouldn't (laughs) be um but just it was a new product to me and it was it was tasty on its own and it was a, a wonderful base for sangria it is. And I will just say that ties in with a Q&A question that we had or have um, about non-alcoholic wine, because it was something that I wasn't really that aware of either. 
you can call them non-alcoholic or de-alcoholized wines. Sometimes you'll just find some wines that are basically exp- expensive fruit juice if they haven't gone through the, the fermentation process. And then they take the alcohol that's been produced off. So if that process doesn't happen, you're losing the flavor because that's where you're getting your flavor from. So you're you want to you want to buy something that is um, listed as alcohol removed or dealcoholized on the label or dealcoholization. We do give a, a suggestion on a brand here, um, and that one was one of the most common ones that we found. We found it at just the local grocery store, Free Frey. I think it's made by maybe Sutter Home, so a very uh, large producer of wine. So. But there are others too, and and price points can go up a little bit. But they do taste. I mean, it's worth a taste of just having the the wine in in air quotes here on its own, because there is some flavor there. Sometimes you're like, am I? I'm drinking wine here. You think you're gonna? Um, it yeah, tasted more flavors. than just juice, right? right. <laughs> it yeah. definitely had that kind of like wine, you know, mouth yes. feel and yes. taste, and it, it was right. lovely. Uh, and just to one more thing on the alcohol-free wines or dealcoholized wines, um, you can find red, white, and even sparkling now. So, uh, let's talk maple, uh, all about maple. John, is there anything in particular you want? I know that, so we've kind of got our all about maple syrup, and then, um, we have, uh, one ingredient, four ways, which, uh, we have, gotten some shout outs on social media definitely for the um, salmon with the beurre blanc uh well it's it's funny uh, it's hard not to uh, talk about maple syrup and whatnot without uh, talking about canada and so that's where i, I start off with the the pudding chumere pardon my uh, butchered uh, french there but um it's a poor man's pudding and it, it's just more or less a little cake in the sense of little bit more English pudding uh, in that idea. And then that's made with uh, uh, maple cream. There's maple in the pudding itself. And there's also the cream that uh, surrounds it. Uh, I was surprised by, uh, I hadn't really realized uh, that the designations for maple syrup had changed over the years. Uh, I I thought that they Mm -hmm. were just, you know, the dark maple and and whatnot, but they've they've narrowed it down to just golden and what do we have here? Uh, there's mm. golden, amber, mm. dark, and very dark. Used to be grade <laughs> A and grade B, and I think there were multiple layers in of of and of those exactly. those grades. And and if memory serves me, I know there was like a misunderstanding about which one was better. Most people, I think, experts thought B was quote unquote better, but people would see A and gravitate towards that. Is that right? It's something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. The the golden, clear, beautiful syrup is what um, advertisers really like to show. But when they did taste tests and focus groups, it was the dark, thick, sure. uh, richer one. And so they wanted to pull that popular category instead of calling it grade B or uh, right. whatnot. They brought it into the same category or same uh, designation as a grade A, but just with different colors and qualities. Um, um, it's so funny. We've been watching um, um, a, uh, let's see, fictionalized account of uh, 
Emily Dickinson, Carl Dickinson on uh, streaming television. And at one point it snows and they all go out and maple, make maple candy, um, which is pouring boiled uh, maple syrup on the fresh snow. And then it crystallizes, there's a oh. chemical reaction and it becomes a toffee-like uh, product then that's, uh, and they actually had, uh, well, I suppose they're antique now, I suppose they still make them too, but they actually have little snowball molds that they were using in the in the scene and then pouring the maple into for the maple candy it was it was gratifying to read about it and then to see it actually done uh, <laughs> it was great it's a it's an interesting <laughs> show nonetheless so i'm gonna um, move into uh, faster with fewer, and I will also say that the sautéed radishes have um, been very popular in social media as well. Uh, our readers are telling us so; they um, they're loving that. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's the lemon orzo salad was what was featured with the uh, which was yeah. featured with the um, lamb. Um, but yep. Robin, is there anything in particular you want to kind of say or? Well, I did like the, the sauteed uh, radishes and, uh, you know, it's got radishes and you've got bacon and tarragon and orange. Um, yeah, I liked all of those things together, um, but they're all things that I like. <laughs> and, the uh, you know, with the radishes, I included the radishes and the greens. So. If you're making that, you'll want to pick them, uh, pick the radish bunch the fresh with the fresh freshest greens that you can find, because you're going to want to saute those in. So you don't want to, uh, you want to be cautious. You're, you know, pick the best ones that you can find because you're going to use those as well and not just uh, uh, throw them away. Um, so it's kind of different, but it's pretty tasty, I thought. And um, orzo, I like orzo. Um, these are all things I like. I'm glad other people do too. It's um, it's always fun to to start with recipes when it's something that you you like, and that's not always the case. We always, you know, we have to think of our readers, so I keep that in mind too, as we all do. Um, and the orzo, I like to uh, I roasted the um, asparagus and the tomatoes um, to kind of give them a little bit of a depth of flavor, and um, we've got uh, cheese in there, some Parmigiano Reggiano, and pine nuts. I love pine nuts and um, mix that all together. I don't know what you want me to say about that, but it's pretty good. No, no. Dude. Um, <laughs> um, and then I'm going to move on to the pea and cucumber salad because that just is reeks. That just says spring to me when when the when the pea salad comes out. Yeah. Then I think it's spring. Um, and I realize that I'm using frozen peas here, but because uh, you can always count on those to be delicious. Um, well, it saves and, the trouble of having to. Um, shell all of the uh absolutely <laughs> the and they're always one. they're always good and um i do have some radishes in here again so i guess there's a little bit of a theme i i see there um and it also um i've got dill and basil so two different herbs in here um and the dressing is is real light it's you know with the greek yogurt and a little bit of white wine vinegar and olive oil so it's just a real light dressing going on here so those fresh flavors come right through um, great and the last one in this in this uh, group would be the sunshine salad. 
And um, what is that you might say? Well, basically it's, it's fruit and some spring lettuce mix. So um, just because we can. So, <laughs> well, it sure is pretty. I'll say that it so, is yeah, beautiful. So, yeah. So just, uh, it's really, it's like sunshine in every bite. That's, this is the name. So well, there and you the, go. the beauty of them is they come together quickly. So you got a lot of variety there, a lot of different flavors and, um, and they come together quickly. And I think people get burned out and stale on side dishes. And mm -hmm. I personally almost like to make a side and turn it into a main, add a little protein if you want, or just load up a double dose of, uh, what you would maybe have as a side and have that as your main. I'm, I'm all about that. Lots of choices. Uh, well, yeah. and, and also if it's, it's heavy veg based too, that's, that's even better. So they're all different. So you have lots of, lots of ways to go there. Uh, okay. So I'm just going to kind of uh, touch upon two things and ask the editor um, Q and a, uh, we did talk about the non-alcoholic wine already. We also um, had a question about alcohol free vanilla extract and pure vanilla extract. And um, it, it is somewhat similar to the de-alcoholized wine in terms of um, what it what you want to look for. You are looking for the stuff that has actually gone through. It's not imitation, but they, they go through the process of basically making vanilla like you would make regular vanilla, but they're pulling out the alcohol because the alcohol is is enabling the the flavors to make the vanilla that you want to make, but then you have to pull out the alcohol. And then typically, I believe it is glycerin is often the carrier added to alcohol-free vanilla flavors then. So it is a laborious process, similar to de-alcoholized wine. It is, it, both of them go through all of that process and then you're, you're taking something out and substituting something in. Um, to make them alcohol free, but also trying to maintain the sort of same standards, flavor standards as much as you can. So they, they are laborious and they are, there might be a little bit higher price point, but I just wanted to kind of mention that. And uh, we do do a little bit tell me more on leeks since they are quite popular in the spring. I also wanted to mention about the stems and fresh herbs and should you discard them. And uh, I think a lot of people get confused about that. If you are doing kind of a chop on um, softer stemmed herbs, go ahead and, and add them in your cilantros or your parsley. If I have, I might not use all of the stem. I might use part of the stem. Maybe I cut off um, where the the leaves are, and um, especially if you're chopping it up and they're they're fine. Um, but if and some recipes will call for just the leaves and then you just want to use the leaves. But you can use the stems in um, the softer stemmed um, versions. But in things like thyme and rosemary, where you have a heavier woody kind of um, stem, you would just pull the, the leaf part off and use that unless you're throwing the whole thing in. In that case, it's easy to fish out afterwards because it, it's kind of hardy and um, then you can just fish out the, the, the stem afterwards. So, and we had already done a whole podcast on a grand finale. So I think that takes us up to the end of this spring issue that I hope gives you all some um, food for thought at home and some inspiration. And uh, we know that a lot of you have already gotten into the kitchen and are cooking along with us with this issue. And does anybody want to say anything else, add anything? 
I don't think so. I mean, it's, you know, I think it hit all the kind of spring flavors and we kind of have a nice mashup of even, I know spring's kind of that, you know, in between season, like, is it soup season? Isn't it? You know, so I, I liked that there was a couple lighter soups in there as well. Uh, I thought it was, it, it turned out lovely, like visually and deliciously tasting. I was, I was happy with it. Yep. We hope our readers are too. Great. Check out this issue. Check out our website, cuisineathome.com for more spring inspired recipes. And please come back next time. Thanks so much. And we'll see you in the next time. Bye-bye. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel-good food and slow cooker dinners. We also offer custom Cuisine at Home branded kitchen tools such as aprons, cutting boards, and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at CuisineAtHome.com.